Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. I'm Brenda, the HR lady, and I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for returning for another episode. You guys are awesome. And if you are a first-time listener, I am excited to welcome you aboard. I'm here to share with you the what and the how in human resources because I'm in the human business, and that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. And before we go on, folks, that the information available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respects to any particular issue that you may be having. And if you do not have an employment attorney, don't worry. Go ahead and reach out to me, and I may be able to refer one to you through our friends and our uh, pals over at Jackson Lewis. All right, so here we go. Everybody's favorite in January, poster updates. We got quite a few updates to make. I'm also going to tell you guys which states have updates to minimum wage as well. So get ready. So here we go. If you are in the states of Alaska, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Vermont, and Washington State, you all have poster changes. Again, that's Alaska, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Vermont, and Washington State, you all have poster changes. Now, most of you guys actually all of everybody with the exception of Massachusetts, Nevada, do not, those two states do not have minimum wage changes. However, in New Jersey, there's an agricultural minimum wage wage change. All of the other states that I mentioned in the posters updates, you guys have minimum wages. Now, minimum wage changes. Now, Hang on, (laughs) there's more. There are localities that have minimum wage changes. And I'm going to read those off to you guys right now. If you are in Flagstaff, Arizona, Belmont, California, Cupertino, California, Daly City, California, El Cerrito, California, Half Moon Bay, California, Hayward, California, Los Altos, California, Menlo Park, California, Mountain View, California, Novato, California, Oakland, California, Palo Alto, California, Petaluma, California, Redwood, California, Richmond, California, San Carlos, San Diego, San Francisco, oh, no, not San Francisco, excuse me, San, San Carlos and San Diego, California, 
San Jose, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Santa Rosa, Sonoma, California, South San Francisco, California, and Sunnyvale, California, as well as Denver, Portland, Maine, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Bernalillo, New Mexico, Las Cruces, New Mexico, New York City, Seattle, and SeaTac. Forget New York City. I'm sorry. That was a mistake. You guys all have minimum wage changes. Don't ask me to go through that again. <laughs> so, but in New York City, you do have sick and safe leave that has kicked in. San Francisco, you have HCSO and MCO that has also kicked in. So how do I know all of this? We find all this information. If you need posters, you need to get these updates in place. Um, I keep my eye on this, but you can actually order these through our pals and our friends over at the Labor Law Compliance Center. That's laborlawcc.com. Use the pass, use the code POSTERS2021 and get 25% off on the purchase of your posters. Now, if it's something that I run into all the time when I do on-site visits with my clients, new clients, older clients, right? You have to have the federal and you have to have the state posters. If you are a federal contractor, you have to have the federal, the state, and the federal contracting posters. You can get all of that at the Labor Law Compliance Center with our, our pals over there. You can also get COVID posters if you need them, additional COVID posters. They've got a wealth of resources. So all of these poster updates and all these minimum changes that are taking place in the various states and cities, those are all included in the posters. That's where you guys can go and, and take care of that and get all that knocked out. Okay. Oh, enough of that. <laughs>
somebody, one of my dearest friends told me this the other day, 2020 is hindsight. And I'm like, you've waited all day to say that, didn't you? And he says, no. So, but we are here. Nonetheless, we're in 2021. It is the first interview. It's the first podcast. We're excited about it. And we have Kelly Cooper here visiting us, who's got exciting news about a book that she, that is rolled out and uh, launched and no better way to start off the year with all this funky change stuff than talking about somebody who helps us figure out how to lead the change. So welcome. Thank you for having me. No, I appreciate it. This is great. So I'm going to apologize all of that thumping you hear in the background. That's Nakoa and his new bone. So the wonderful joys of working from home. <laughs> a month old puppy, a, a bone and a wood floor. <laughs> so. Everybody has a bone coworker these days. That's right. Everybody's got a bone to pick somewhere, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, this is awesome. Well, welcome. We're excited to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you about my book and everything about it. So yeah, so let, let's do this. Let's kind of get everybody a little bit of background. Can you sure. share a little bit about who you are, what you do and what you focus in on? Because I've never had a guest with this topic before. And it's Yay. not just leading change, it's leading change. So Awesome. Please do. Okay. Yeah. So I am the president and founder of my own company called the Center for Social Intelligence. And we help C-suite and HR folks with um, uh, creating change in their organization on diversity and inclusion. And we help them by um, explaining basically the value proposition on why they need to take action from an economic point of view. And then also provide what I call a blueprint for action. So many of these people, as you know, are uh, men and they are often questioning this conversation, if not completely not engaged because they don't know um, why they should be. Uh, They feel it's a women's issue uh, primarily and often just a social issue that they don't have to engage in. And so what I do is is basically uh, reframe the conversation in economic terms in a way that allows them to um, basically listen and understand Uh, what it is uh, that can benefit them and how it's a business advantage to them and to their bottom line. That's awesome. And today, for the very first time ever, I'm actually bringing somebody on to talk about diversity and inclusion, which I don't necessarily do a lot of, and and not that I don't believe it, I do believe in it. Um, But I come from a couple of places. First and foremost, a lot of people out there are talking about diversity and inclusion to the point where it's not that it's suffocating. That's not what I want to say, but there's a lot of it and there's other things to talk about things. I mean, people that listen into the show are looking for other things outside of diversity inclusion. And that's a lot of what I bring to the table. It's the how and the what and how you do things and talking points for other situations, because even though we deal with diversity and inclusion, we deal with a wide variety of people issues within the organization. We still have to figure out how to handle those people issues and the more information that we can get out there on, on a lot of wide variety of subjects, then the more effective the listeners are. Mm-hmm. But the other thing about diversity and inclusion that, you know, I'm, I'm old school, meaning this, meaning only this. And that is my philosophy has always been that if you are doing this right, 
you will never have to focus in on a diversity and inclusion initiative. And what I mean by that is exactly that. If you are hiring according to your standards that you broadcast and you're giving everybody an equal opportunity to learn and grow. And when you do team building events, you take into consideration everything that, that, that could, or potentially people would want to do, or is good for the workforce and you're not leaving anybody else out and you're awesome at your communication and you don't have any gaps in your communication channel. Well, then you're, you're essentially doing it, right? But you're doing it without having to focus in on it. It's just part of your innate skill. So I'm a little old school in that manner, and I have no problems talking about that, but I am very much of the mindset that everybody is unique. Everybody has special skills and talents that they bring to the table. And if you're not utilizing everybody's talents and gifts that they have, you're just, you got some work to do on your leadership. And so when I look at diversity and inclusion, I look at how can you maximize everything everybody has on your team and future. And by doing that, you're really honestly hitting a lot of the, the hard points and the big points in the diversity and inclusion landscape. Right. I agree. I, I think that old school I approach is, um, is what many people think about. I think there are things beyond it too, that we should be exploring with the, for the audience is, which is, um, we need to be more proactive and sort of deliberate intentions, I guess you could say with, um, connecting with our communities that we are, where our company is located and looking at the supply chain of those organizations that we work with and looking at how our consumers and the products we are producing for consumers are um, coming from different diverse backgrounds. And I know that sounds kind of basic, but so many times that doesn't happen. Like I work primarily in um, the natural resource sectors. My background is in science. Um, I, I started out uh, with boots on the ground. I did research in the Arctic. I, I joined an engineering firm. And after that, I was pulled into the federal government where I was uh, launched into the UN file and some more policy related work because I had also policy education and background. And what that did was um, just bring the, the blend of experience between science and policy but to, to offer to the conversation on diversity and inclusion that I didn't have before. And that allows me to see kind of more in the, I guess the traditional uh, sectors, like the male dominated sectors, how um, it is pretty, uh, if I can use not, uh, you know, this phrase, a white bread world right. and these guys, and they really lack diversity in their workforce, in their thinking, um, there's, uh, I know people talk about unconscious bias. I don't really like going on about that because we all have it. Yeah. Um, but it's really looking at, um, you know, not hiring your friend, you know, not hiring always that guy who's the, the yes person to your thinking. It's, it's being open to the way of thinking that says, um, I need diverse thinking to challenge me. I need it to ensure that when my product actually gets out onto the shelves and some, you know, store that it's going to reach a larger audience of purchasers, right? That's the yeah. goal. But if you keep having more white guys, for example, around you, you're only going to have their point of view on how that product applies. Uh, when it comes to the gender conversation, women are often a lot of the purchasers in the home. Um, they need to be involved in those decisions 
on what that product can offer because they have thinking that will help strengthen that product at the end. And that's where the value comes in. Yeah. So we talk a lot about the value proposition um, and I'll give you a few statistics here just to throw at you. So uh, those with inclusive organizations are said to have twice as likely to meet or exceed their financial targets. They're three times as likely to be high performing. They're six times more likely to be innovative and agile and eight times more likely to achieve better business outcomes. And that includes things like improved safety. And that's in the world I'm in. Um, but the, these are like the, the facts that you can find now if you Google them um, from Deloitte or PricewaterhouseCoopers or any of those big management firms, they're going to spout out those figures and those facts to be part of the, the value proposition. But one thing that I talk about in my book that a lot of people don't really talk about is the cost of inaction. And we see it pretty much in the news every day. Um, the one situation that came up last year that blew my mind was the story of Jeff Tubin at CNN. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, uh, which one? He was caught masturbating on a Zoom call. Yeah, <laughs> thought yeah. I just thought I just make sure that we were on the same one. Yeah. So we're talking yeah. about cost of you know the you know so there's things that are like indecent behavior. It's like what are you thinking, right? So. It's, it's raising the bar on behavior and, and uh, making sure that the workplace is, has respect for all and that there is, um, there's no issues or that, like, I mean, can you imagine being one of those women on those Zoom calls? Like, I just, I, and so, it, so what wow. it plays out to being is brand, reputation, uh, people turning over, you know, if, you know, how the cost of, of HR churn in terms of replacing Jeff Tubin, you know, any kind of legal action that comes out from the people on that Zoom call. These are costs. Yep. Right. And what I talk about is get ahead of these costs, get ahead of it by um, having diversity and inclusion. If it has to be poked in the eyeballs with diversity and inclusion as a focal directive in the HR uh, branch of the, of the company, then do it because what you're doing is you're, you're getting to a respectful organization Yep. that somehow has lost its way. So it's about realigning it to have that as a basic core accountability for your behavior at all levels and, and ensuring that, you know, the, 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 the reputation of the organization is, is intact. Yeah. So we talk a lot about that. The other thing we also talk about is, is there's a labor market demand. I mean, for us in Canada, probably there in the States, uh, we have a shortage um, happening right now. Baby boomers are retiring and droves and we have to bring in new people. We're having troubles finding those new people. So you have to go beyond your usual networks, right? You got to yeah. start seeking out new avenues for, for, um, for sources of good quality talent. And a lot of the times we go to the usual HR firms to find that talent, right? Because it's familiar, but it's time to start looking more aggressively. And again, back to deliberate intention to other places that offer these, um, you know, for HR, for like pr that promote women, for example, as executives, they exist now. Okay, well then if you go and you have a new hiring process for a C-suite position and you come back with just, you know, 90% male candidates, you need to go back to that HR recruitment firm. And if it's not them, then you need to go to a specific HR recruiting firm that like focuses on women and you make sure you have 50% male, female representation to ensure that you're getting the proper um, opportunity for both. And, and because you want that at your C-suite to strengthen, as I mentioned, the bottom line. Yeah. 
it's um you know this is a subject that's not going to go away yeah unfortunately not for a while (laughs) i don't think it i don't think it ever will i'd be i would it would be a long time if it ever did but it's it's 2184 that's when they say it'll change 2184 2184 Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's 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 here for the long haul. And if you haven't jumped on board just yet, you definitely really, really, really need to evaluate. I have one other thing I'd like to share with you, if I may. Yeah. That. So the other thing that I like to tell people about in terms of the value proposition is that there are benefits to men directly. And when we talk about that, I mean, there's less pressure on men to be the breadwinner. Um, there are, um, policy measures that apply not just to women for flexible work arrangements, but they apply to men. And that means that they can go to their son's hockey game at four 30 and not feel, uh, they're going to have, um, limited opportunities for upward mobility. It means there's, there's an understanding that you're a human being in the workplace and you're not going to be, uh, and you will make up your work as you need to but there's some flexibility. It's not just flexibility for women to be mothers. There's flexibility for men to be fathers. Mm-hmm. And what is the conversation now is more about what it is to be a man and to allow men to be fathers in a way that hasn't been done before. And by doing so, um, reducing what I call the death gap between men and women. Why is it that men die sooner than women? We need to look at this, right? And there are research on this. Men have heart attacks sooner than us. Why? Right? Stress. What about suicide? right? All these things are health implications that play out because these guys don't have the social connections that women have. Suicide happens from that. They have heart attacks because they are stressed through the pressures and not meeting all the, like juggling all those balls. These are real costs, okay, in terms of of life. And so we can't ignore those things. And, And a lot of people don't look at it through that lens, but those are important. So those are the other messages I share with people to, to put the, the, the point across. And, and it's, it's also obviously articulated in my book. That's one of the things that I love when I've been talking to you is that, you know, there's a, there have been people that I've met who are specialists in this line of work, in this field, in this conversation, but they, they run. Is this what you said? I'm sorry, you cut out there. Can you repeat? Oh, no, that's okay. I said, it's one of the things that I really enjoy when I talk to you is that um, the things that you discuss, <clears throat> there are people in this conversation, they run narrow and deep. And so the only, you know, pipeline on minorities or only pipeline on women. And, and that's, their diversity and inclusion, right? You're looking at the full scope. I mean, you've brought men into the picture, you you know, talking about what it's like to be a father in today's world. You know, the men don't want to disconnect from their families and work yeah. does tend to do that. That's right. You know, especially if they're, if they're a high earner or if they are the breadwinner, you know, of the, or of the, of the family. And that's the stereotypes, right? Totally. Society. We just expect that. Yeah. And you know what? And as men as providers, they do tend to do that independently anyway. So to get men to focus more on it's like, hey, listen, don't disconnect from your family. We're going to give you an opportunity to to find where's that a better closer to the fulcrum and the balance here. Right. Let's make that happen. And and I think companies are realizing that 
you know, when their people are, <clears throat> when their people are more rounded and more grounded in their personal lives, um, then they produce more, they produce better, That's and they right. produce faster, and the more competitive and the environment's better. Mm -hmm. So I love how you bring that up. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't really invested a lot into diversity and inclusion, because it is too narrow of a conversation with a lot of people and you bring a, a wider, a wider span to it. Yeah. Well, I totally take your point that it's swampy waters, like as a discussion. Yes, it's, like, it's, there's it's, an alligator in there. <laughs> and I mean, I'll be clear. I have not been, I've been doing this now for close to 10 years. Um, but it's not like, um, like I, I kind of fell into this line of work and I can explain a little bit of that to give context for everyone. But uh, are you familiar with the concept of sustainable development? No. no? Okay. So I'm going to do, do a little brief little review of that. So you have understanding from where I'm coming from. So it's all about sustainable development was a, a, a phrase that was coined in 1992 through the United Nations. And it's about uh, not is about social issues, economic issues, and environmental issues. And as I mentioned in my book, we, in the 90s, were looking at how do we reconcile environment and economics? That's what, that was when we talked about recycling. People didn't understand, you know, what, you want to make money out of garbage? What are you talking about? We took a long time to get our heads around that, you know, yeah. saying that, oh, yeah, we could actually make money from garbage, from the environment, okay? Now they're trying to do that with climate change, putting a dollar value on air. Okay, these sorts of things. Now, so that's the environmental economic conversation that's been going on for the last 30 years. About 10 years ago, and I had, play, I had played in that arena of environmental economics for the first part of my career, for the first 20 years of it. And I worked on climate change policy work and I've done all kinds of things on, on the environmental side. I got tired of it. I got tired of it because it was all the old boys network was driving me crazy. I was getting hit on all the time through work, sexual harassment. I even went into having pay inequity issues that I managed to course correct. But I got interested in the social aspect. And I thought, well, sustainable development is supposed to actually have environmental, economic, and social all in collaboration together. So the social part was to me, I was like, well, what about um, the whole idea of uh, the social element of a company. And a lot of companies look at it as, well, I'm going to finance Johnny's little Tim Hortons uh, peewee league or something. And then, but it's a one directional financial thing. It's out to the community. Right. What I wanted to look at is how do you actually get a return on your investment by doing things for the social side? Right. And that is the code I cracked with the work I do. And that is what we're talking about here today. So it's about, you can actually get more out of your bottom line, the more of the economics through investing in your people. But people were like, what are you talking about? It was like back, we were, it was like we just pole vaulted back in time to the three R's of environmental issues, reduce, reuse, recycle. We're trying to figure out, well, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't understand, how does that work, right? And so that's where we are now. I call it at that cutting edge of this discussion because people are starting to just now start to think, oh, well, hmm. We're waking up to the idea, well, there's something here. And I'm now engaging quite a lot with senior executive presidents of large companies who are starting to listen very closely. They love my book and they're like, Kelly, this makes a ton of sense. And so it's very exciting to see this awareness take hold and people actually being more um, owning, you know, their accountability on this discussion. 
and seeing their role in it. And I think that's the key is having men um, understand the benefits from an economic and social point of view that we've discussed and seeing how to, you know, be a leader in their organization, not only just for their company, but for their family and for their community. That's great. So what else? So, so you're finding this code to crack. What, what, can you give us some examples of some things that you've seen that have turned for the positive? Yeah. So um, there are companies now that are, um, so there's a, talk to you about one of them when we spoke before this call that you used to work with, but I'm going to talk about Sodexo. Okay. It's a large um, international, I guess, catering kind of company. And they employ, I think it's 46,000 people around the world. It's big. And, and it's huge. And um, they are aces at this. They have um, really figured out what to do and how to do it. And they claim a uh, $19 return on investment on diversity and inclusion. And that's huge. Like I'll tell people, you know, you're getting more on this than the stock market. Are you interested now? Right? And people are like, what? So it's true. Like there are, there are large companies, like the big players are doing this, the, the global leaders. Now we're starting to see it coming into the national level. And I'm specifically taking it into the, what I call the, the, the dinosaur era with the, with the tradi- male traditionally dominated sectors of the natural resources, mining, engineering, and uh, mining, uh, forestry, and, and en- energy. But I go beyond that too. It's just, that's been my, my niche because of my background. But yeah, there are lots of examples out there um, of international firms. And now in our in, in my context, there's a company called Canfor. It's a very uh, large forest company. They're doing a lot of things on inclusive leadership and they, they work in the US as well. Okay. Uh, so I'm raising that name, but uh, they're doing some really good stuff. And yeah, there's there are companies leading the way on this. Cool. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> I think that's awesome. You know, it's how can, so a lot of people who, as I'm thinking of this question, like I'm trying to phrase it right. So we have a lot of people who, who listen in <clears throat> that are in the small business sector. How, how can people in the small business sector really embrace this? And what are some of the things that they can do? So some of the things they can do, I would say, are um, make it known to their stakeholders, which means their employees, but also external stakeholders, where they stand on this issue, uh, making a, a commitment, you know, that we, uh, we want this, we respect this, it's a value, it's part of our value system of our company culture. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, you send a message to the community, you send a message to new recruits in your, to come into your company that, yeah, this is something you value. And you can do that through policies as well, like through procurement policies. Um, if you have any kind of supply chain uh, people or, or companies that you work with that um, you can say, hey, we're looking to work with companies. And these are part of your stakeholder groups that um, adhere to diversity and inclusion policies like that, that share our common values. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then that makes them, that makes all those that want to work for you pay attention. Right. So that kind of turns the table there a little bit, which is really great. Um, 
I guess the other thing is to be engaged with the community in the sense of, um, you know, four-year recruitment. Some companies now, well, a lot of companies now are starting to think, how do I get more diverse uh, representation in my company? I don't know anybody. How am I supposed to do that? Well, you go to um, organizations that represent those diverse groups and you start building alliances. Mm-hmm. Maybe you um, maybe you partner on uh, something for Pride Parade or something, or you know maybe you um, do something with the Hispanic community for uh, you know you figure out something. You know you work with them to <clears throat> build that bridge where it's a, a relationship building thing, and that's what it comes down to is building relationships yes. and, and then having that known people you get some awareness on that through your communications campaign yeah we just supported this campaign on this uh, activity or that and then you can show people are like oh i didn't know that that company is supportive of that that's cool because i want to work there and i'm from whichever you know diverse community that we're talking about so that kind of stuff helps them um i'd say the other thing is calling out in meetings like like I have a whole bunch of tips on all this stuff in the book, but like um, if you're chairing a meeting, are you making sure that you're sharing the chair role? Like, can you rotate the chair role so that it's both men and women? Mm-hmm. Can you make sure that the note taker is also shared from men and women? Can you make sure that when you're getting coffee that you don't just ask the women? You know, there's little tips that kind of make their, and you know, boundaries for, uh, conversations, you know, if somebody says anything uh, stupid, frankly, or uh, ignorant about sexual jokes at work, you go, you know, what are you doing? You know, you got to call it out and speak up and sort of don't let things slide because there's a lot yeah. of sli- there's a lot of bystander behavior that um, if we're if it were called out, higher likelihood it won't happen again, right? So it gets back to the values of the company. We treat our, our you know, employees with respect, treat each other with respect and spell out what that means. And it comes down to things like calling people out diplomatically, of course, you don't, you know, poke them in the eyeball. Sure. Just say, hey, you know, that wasn't cool. Like, what are you, what are you doing? That's not part of our culture. Something like that, you figure it out, right? But something like that. So those sorts of things. The other thing I could suggest is like, um, getting some training on EI skills, you know, with guys, impulse control, big problem with a lot of people, right? They can't stop saying stuff. Right. They can't stop making overtures. It's just like, hey, you need some self, again, self-awareness is another EI skill. Have a bit of awareness about how you're conducting yourself. Um, and so, and what would be the other one? Assertiveness for women. You know, like they have often, often women are stereotyped and I don't want to stereotype because, you know, I'm an, I'm an assertive woman but you know, I can easily be called aggressive. So it's like, let's differentiate these terms so that I don't get called once one thing, which is really not appropriate. Right. So those, those are a few ideas. That's awesome. I love it. And I, so it's funny. I was just thinking, (laughs) I was actually having a conversation yesterday with a good friend of mine. She refers to me as the sister that she got to choose, which is awesome. And uh, we were, we were chatting about something. And it led to a conversation where I said, you know, the thing that I said, there's only one thing that really, all really ultimately gets under my skin. <clears throat> and 
that is when somebody's asked for help or my opinion. And as I'm explaining it, they interrupt me. Or if I'm leading a meeting and somebody like constantly interrupts me. And I said, that is, I said, you know, that's the only, I said, you know, if I have to dress somebody down, that's the only thing that really gets under my skin. And she goes, and, and I said, but it's, but it's something that when you know it, when you see it, and she, and she's been, she's been witness to it like twice now, she goes, Oh, yes. <laughs> like, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a tyrant. You know, it's just right. like at some point there are boundaries that get crossed and there's nothing wrong with setting your boundaries. But at the same time, you have to speak with a level of power, not empowerment, but with power. If you want to, you have to, you have to speak with strength. And there's a difference, you know, when somebody comes back and says, well, you're interrupting me and you don't want to hear what I have to say. And you don't, you don't, you don't, right. That's casting onto somebody else. And then that for there can make you look like you're something that you're not, you know, you can get you know, you're, she's oh, she's just an emotional female and blah, blah, blah. In my instance, when somebody starts stepping on my tail, when I'm talking to them about something, I'm like, okay, listen, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to give you the answer, but you don't seem to want to hear it. And you're really irritating me because you keep talking over me when I'm the one that's talking to you. So if you just give me a second, I'll be happy to go ahead and finish what I'm saying. And then you can go ahead and say whatever it is that you want to say. I'm not, I, not once did I cast anything on that person. And that's usually kind of how it comes out, but, um, it's, it's all about, that's a boundary right there. That's, that's different. Right. And I think people have to get better at speaking their boundaries rather than trying to speak their quote unquote power. Correct. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, man, so this has been awesome. So your book is out or is it coming out? I can't it remember. It is out. It's, it's out. It can be uh, purchased on Amazon uh, I can say that reviews are on amazon.ca because I'm in Canada, but um, it is also on amazon.com. But if you want to hear what people are thinking or saying about the book, you can see it on the .ca. I do not know why the .ca and .com do not interconnect. They don't like each other. It drives me crazy. <laughs> it's really bad, but it makes it challenging for me. But I'm determined, as you can tell, to get the message out. And um, I think it will benefit a lot of people. So I, I think what you're doing is awesome and it's great. And I'm just excited that you're on and, and we're talking about what we're talking about. This is phenomenal. So if people wanted to find you, where can they find you? So I have my website, www.center. That's C-E-N-T-R-E. It's the Canadian center. <laughs> just a mess with people there. Center for F-O-R social intelligence.ca. That's my website. Um, you, like I say, you can go to Lead the Change. Um, it also comes up for another website just specifically for my book. Um, but yeah, that's my website and um, and where you can find the book. Now, before, I, before we sign off here, is there anything that you wanted to say that you haven't yet said or I haven't yet asked you? I guess just that um, people need to realize there's so much value in this discussion um, in terms of the economics and the social. And um, if there's only one takeaway, it's like, it's a, it is the future. You know, whether we want to accept it in our little bubble world or not, um, like I say, I'm not, uh, I'm not like, I, it's not like I've been doing this forever, but I have figured out why this has to happen. 
Yeah. And um, it's important. It's important for our society to grow. And it, it, it's part of our evolution, I think, of, of mankind is to make sure we have a respectful workplace that everyone can work in. So that would be that. And that, and all that can be is helpful for branding uh, for a company, right? And, um, and, and just a beacon for top talent. Yeah, I agree. Not to mention it makes the, makes the workplace just a little bit more pleasant to be in. That's right. Uh, sometimes a lot. <laughs> yeah depending on the characters for sure that's right yeah awesome and that's the other thing in my book I weave my own stories of examples of uh, like stuff that you just like are you kidding me that really happened and um it happened and there's a lot of stuff that did happen that I did not write about yeah. Um, but yeah it's just um it's got to change you I know think. years ago <clears throat> and you know I grew up in east and northwestern Pennsylvania, where um, telling inappropriate jokes about race was mm-hmm. very socially acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, my folks were like, "Yeah, no, we're not. You're not going to grow up that way." And so, you know, my my father's from Hawaii, so we'd go back and forth every you know every couple of years, and we were always being exposed to different cultures, to different people. <clears throat> And it was, you know, it's really impressive. So I will, <laughs> when you get out of your own surrounding, it's healthy and it's good for you because you experience life. But as an example, if it's on an island, a matter of fact, when I lived on Hawaii many years ago, you'll, you'll laugh at this. Uh, there are, believe it or not, there are people that have never left the island. And you're talking about an island that's only 23 miles wide. I mean, it's they live in paradise, Brenda they live in paradise <laughs> and they, they have never experienced anything else. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had this one guy <clears throat> was walking through the parking lot and his name was Ron and he, and he's, you know, short little five, two combination, you know, Hawaiian, Filipino, Chinese, I think just lo- good old local boy with the big old accent, big old bow legs. Right. And just the, one of the nicest guys you could possibly ever meet. And he comes walking up to me in his pigeon English. He goes, Hey sis. I said, yeah. He says, what's up? He says, I hear you. Hey, I hear you stay. And I said, yeah, I'm moving back to the mainland. And he says, Oh, he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Chicago. And he goes, Chicago. And I said, yeah, he's oh, man, He says, that's next to Vegas. Huh? And I'm like, close. <laughs> Yep. Closer than it is to Never the left the island. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Close, Ron. You're close. <laughs> you got about six states to go, but you're close. But you know, is but that's what this world is made of, you know. Yeah. We just the more you travel, care. the more the more appreciation you have for different cultures. And I think, yeah, and we just got to, we got to do a better job of acceptance. I mean, that's really the biggest. If we do a better job of acceptance, then we won't have a lot of these issues. We'll have other issues, but we'll have, we won't have these. Yeah. I mean, that was a thing I think I also bring to the equation here is I've done a lot of travel to developing countries. I spent a lot of time in Africa um, and then in India and in Guatemala and, uh, when I mean a lot of time, I mean a couple of months at a time backpacking through Africa. I went there for the UN meetings. Um, wow. And I, I've been to India for eight months where I worked there and in Delhi. And so I've seen a lot. I've experienced the pile a ton. You can imagine I'm a light-haired, blue-eyed, thin woman with uh, walking around the streets in Delhi. 
They literally had three men walking in front of me backwards as I walked down the sidewalk, kind of checking me out because they all I they all I looked like for them was Baywatch material. Right. Yeah. It was crazy. And I one day I lost it on them. Just I was like, have you never seen someone like this before? And and that was the end of that. But it was just like, anyway, I, I've experienced a lot of it. So I know um, um, a lot of the cultural dynamics um, that that people are feeling on the other side, you know, um, and I feel for them. And, and I feel that this this um, approach to diversity and inclusion um, offers some sheds some light uh, in the minds of those who haven't had that uh, cultural experience. Um, to allow them to see another reason that's beneficial to them. Yeah. Do this. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I'm being clear anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I totally agree. I was in I was in mainland China in 1992, and I get it. I mean, I think we were the only two white people in the country at that time. It, it, but seriously, but that's when they didn't have anybody coming in from the outside. You yeah. Know, we were walking down the streets, my dad and I, and people are like looking at us. And what year was this? It was 1992. Yeah. This yeah. was only three years after Tiananmen Square. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that would yeah. have been interesting times. It was. It was really interesting. And it was just as, you know, just as the, I mean, they had one luxury hotel, <clears throat> which is the equivalent of a Marriott right now. And you had to ask for your towels. I mean, it's just, you know, they were just right on the birth of expansion in the cities and people still sleeping on dirt floors everywhere else. So, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. So our, our problems are definitely first world issues. Oh yeah. Time. I say that all the time. We have first yeah. world problems. My kids complain about stuff. I'm like first world problems. First world problems. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been absolutely awesome. Uh, I really appreciate it. And well, thank uh, you for this opportunity. I've yeah, really my pleasure. We should do this again. I, I agree. So <laughs> here we are, 2021, and you know what? COVID is not going in. In fact, it turns out just exactly what we had forecasted when all of this came out 10 months ago was that there's likely going to be another strand, and it looks like that's happening. And <clears throat> it is more important now than ever that you guys take care of yourself. It's winter. Uh, the seasons have changed. The cold is impacting us rates you know the covid rates are going up you know regardless of how you feel about it the statistics are continuing to increase and you know like i'll share with you guys majority of my family right now has covid <clears throat> my sister has five daughters and one of them has a boyfriend and out of the five daughters all but one actually has it because she spent time somewhere else so uh and then both my parents have been exposed so it's pretty crazy stuff out there and Thankfully, I have not been impacted by this. And part of the reason is because I have been absolutely jacking my system <laughs> with as much positive juju as possible. And I focus on getting rest. I eat well. And I really make sure that I take a couple of things that I'm going to share with you guys. And you, you guys hear this time and time again, but I'm telling you right now, 
I barely have any challenges when it comes when I'm when I do better with my health and um, it starts off with MASF and that is uh, a brand and they take MASF multi which is a plant-based multivitamin and what I love about it the most is that it does not cramp my stomach, which is a problem that I have when I take vitamins. If it if I get stomach cramps from take from taking a vitamin, I can't take the vitamin. I do not have that problem with this. Then I take Naked Warrior Recovery Immunity Booster. So our pal Will who came on the show a little while ago. I take his immunity booster and it's awesome. And I take that at night. <clears throat> now throughout the day I now take the True Lean immunity shot and it is a wellness shot. And basically what it is, it's made out of citrus, turmeric, and ginger. And it comes in a little packet. You put it in water. <clears throat> you sneeze a little bit because it does have uh, cayenne and black pepper in it. You can't avoid it. <laughs> but it, it tastes really, really good. I like the flavor of it. And it also gives you a big boost of B12. So it helps me get through my afternoon slump, which usually hits around about 2 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon is when I hit a wall. Then I take um, MASF Smashing Greens. And basically what I've been doing is I've been replacing one meal a day with this. Two if I'm really fasting. And um, love the stuff. Then uh, I have, again, Will's product line, Naked Warrior Recovery Super Greens, which is not as uh, a dense nutrients as the Smashing Greens are, but it's a little bit lighter and it has a different flavor to it. And so I get to use that if I get a snacky urge or something like that. So um, I don't get paid for promoting any of these things. These are just healthy things that I use that, you know, if I find something that I like, I share it. It's been like that my whole life. <clears throat> but if you wanna learn more about these, definitely follow my social media platform where I periodically share information on how you can jump in and do that. But just absolutely fantastic and um, it's awesome. So it, it's, it's over, 2020, it's over. I had a friend of mine tell me the other day that 2020 was hindsight and I just laughed. <laughs> I thought it was so campy and corny. It was well Whitley timed too. But it still feels like last year and it still feels like March <clears throat> when the coronavirus arrived. And, and I, I really think that we've been talking about three things all last year, how to deal with COVID, the PPP and leave pay. And that's it. That's all we've been talking about. And except for the back end of the year, we're talking about election stuff, right? But we know that there's so much more and that has to happen in spite of a pandemic and in spite of crisis that impacts our business. And we still have to adhere to all the compliance things that come up with a strategy in order to get it done. January 21st, 1 p.m., we are launching our new HR Compliance and Strategy Mastermind. And you might be wondering, well, what is a mastermind? Well, it was a phrase that was actually coined up by Napoleon Hill, and it's a group of people who come together with a common set of objectives and work to achieve great success. And it's an awesome program. I just got done beta testing it, and it's really, really great. And we're going to spend the next 12 months participating in four quarterly mega sessions with a weekly Q&A session where we walk through a full year of compliance requirements, and I share with you how to implement them through an HR strategy. So we're going to do a deep dive and move into the tactical side of HR that will help you create your strategy on accomplishing your compliance requirements. Now, a little while ago, December 30th, we did a, a sit-in session. And if you would like to get access to that sit-in session, because we're going to do another virtual session of it, it's the pre-recorded session. 
you can go ahead and sign up for the webinar. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to DM me or instant message me on any of my social platforms, and I will get you the link to that. I'd be happy to do that, okay? Uh, but I'm sending out, uh, I've sent out the invitations. We had a great time. We had a number of people ask a lot of questions about it. It was it got a lot of really good feedback on it. So if you'd like to get in on that, then make sure you go ahead and do that. Jump in on my mailing list as well. But most importantly, because you'll get some other information on the mailing list, but most importantly, DM me or instant message me on any of my social platforms and I will get you the link to the sit-in session. So it is based off of, we're going to be utilizing, I should say it's based off of, but we're really going to do a deep dive based off of the information that's in the HR planner. Now, it, we're almost completely sold out, literally. We only have a couple copies. We've got a reprint order that is going to be coming in. It's still the beginning of the year. So if you'd like to take advantage of getting that head start on the new year, you can get ahead by ordering your copy and go ahead and just put that through, start marketing it up and getting ready for January, okay? You're going to want that if you're jumping into the HR compliance and strategy mastermind. Now, if you don't think that the mastermind is for you, that's fine. Just use the planner. Okay. The planner will actually guide you through, but if you really want to invest in yourself and understand what it is that you're expected to do, and in addition to that, by the time we get done with the mastermind, you would have put together your own HR strategy that you can take and carry into 2022. This is the, this is the investment to make for yourself because that's what 2021 should be all about. 2020 was all about frantic and panic, right? 2021 should be about you, your, your mindset collected and moving forward, invested in your future. All right. Love to have you guys on board. Uh, you, you know, I would enjoy having y'all. All right. So your each of your questions, I got an awesome question that, that I found. I didn't, this didn't come to me. This one I actually found, and this loops back to what we were talking about last week, right? So you remember in the last session that we talked about is improving the quality of your questions. Because if you improve the quality of your core core questions, you improve the quality of your actions, right? So here's what I found. It says, what can I do if my predecessor approved an FMLA that clearly the person was not eligible for and she's taking advantage of it too? How can I legally correct this? That is a vague vague, vague, huge question to put out on a social platform where you're only going to get micro fragments of what the person thinks. And not once in that chain did I see anybody ask a question or offer to say, hey, listen, why don't we jump on a call and, or jump on instant messenger or something like that? And I'll be more than happy to walk through that with you. Everybody's giving little tiny snippets of an answer. Not good enough. First off, what state are you in? Is the employee full-time or part-time? Is the company even required to adhere to FMLA? What about where you're in California? Will CAFRA kick in? Has the person been receiving short-term disability? I mean, there's so many different things, right? And this is a perfect example, perfect example of what you have to be mindful for, okay? This is a not a quality question to put out inside of a chat room or an open format like a Facebook group or something like that, especially one that's not, that's not moderated. It's dangerous. And, if, and a lot of people, believe it or not, will take that information and run with it. Now, some people will put stuff out to get ideas. Yeah, absolutely agree. But I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. 
And that's what you guys have to watch out. Not to mention, she's asking the question, how can I legally correct this? Well, if you want to know how to legally correct something, you need to talk to your unemployment attorney. And that one person actually mentioned that. They're just telling her what they can do, how to recertify the person. No, 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 no. When you've got a mistake, like paid job leave, which is what FMLA provides, you need to put an appropriate legal strategy in place because one, the employee can come back and lay down a claim of retaliation. And guess where the burden of proof, burden of evidence falls on? Not the employee, you. And that all depends on the case, but more than often than not, the employer's the one that's going to have to defend their position. It is the employer's mistake. It is absolutely the employer's mistake if this is what happened. Now the employer's got to figure out how to clean it up, okay? It also sets precedence. Now, even though it was a mistake, it still sets precedence. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of wigginess involved here, all right? You need to get a legal strategy in place with your employment attorney, and it has to be a strong, defensible case. If it's not a, a strong, defensible position, then your employment attorney is going to say, well, here's how, here's how we deal with it. Here's the dice that's going to roll. Let's hope it doesn't come up seven. And, um, you know, here's the kind of conversation that you guys should be having. So that's a really great example. And you know I love your, your HR questions. I absolutely love answering these. You can go ahead and submit your question if you have one at the brendathehlady.com website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu. And down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to go ahead and post your question, which may be read and answered on an upcoming episode. And actually today... This is so cool. This episode comes out on, on the 6th. Today is a very special day. It's awesome. It is the one-year anniversary of the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook community, and I'm so excited about it. This is an awesome group of people. Um, we've got almost 300 people in there now in a year, which is really fantastic. Um, they're good people. They're hardworking people. I've watched them really tackle a lot of the challenges of the year. And you know what? They've done a fantastic job, an absolutely fantastic job. So here's what I am offering. It is a 24-hour offer only. So if you're listening to this podcast after January 6th, I'm very sorry. But we have, when, when I launched this community a year ago, I launched it alongside a, a portal in, on my website that offered and provided information for HR pros and champions to gain access to in order to fulfill a job. Well, over time, I got an opportunity to collect a bunch of feedback and have made improvements to it. And the best addition and change that we made to this site is an area where you can go in and get HR news that is updated automatically and streaming in, not just for topics such as changing employment laws, EEOC, OSHA, COVID updates, um, you know, stuff for federal contractors, government contractors, but we also have feeds coming in for almost all of the 50 states. We're still looking for a couple of them, but it, it gives you state updates, and it's just absolutely fantastic. And it's all bundled up in one area. It also has an area where you'll be able to download tools. You'll be able to go ahead and watch videos and uh, access case law information. 
And it's just really, you know what? We just really wanted to make this an amazing tool for 2021. Now, here's the thing. It has always been a $9 a month tool. That's less than three cups of coffee a month. But for today only, and this offer will expire at midnight. I promise you it will. And it won't be repeated. This is, if you use the code resource2021, that's resource2021, all day today, up through midnight, January 6th, you can actually get access to this site for 50% off. And the reason why I'm doing this is because there have been so many people who have been using this. And the biggest piece of feedback that I get is that when they, when they have to back out or they email me and they say, I really want to stay, but you know what? It's cost. Look, I'm going to make it affordable for you guys. So 50% off January 6th all day on our anniversary date, use the code resource 2021 and you'll be able to get access to this and you're going to get real time information, which is just absolutely fantastic. So that is the, the resource site. If you go to brendathrlady.com, you go down just a little bit, you go underneath the access to the HR leadership course that I have, which is free. And by the way, I encourage you to take it, but go down a little bit and you'll see a line of images and you'll see HR resource site over on the right-hand side. Click the link, go ahead and register. Like I said, 50% off, less than three cups of coffee a week for a monthly subscription. And now you're getting at 50% off, not just for this month, but you're going to do that for the entire year, 12 months from January all the way into December, 50% off the entire year. My gosh, that's an amazing deal. All right, gang. So that is that. If you guys want to go ahead and follow me, um, by all means, jump in on the conversation. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now Clubhouse. I love Clubhouse. Holy cow. You can find me at Brenda, the HR lady. You can also find me on LinkedIn, just using my name, which is Brenda Neckvottle, and that's spelled N-E-C-K-V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And I co-host, like I mentioned earlier in the show, another episode, another show with the real called The Real HR Show with the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas. And lastly, you can jump on the website at brendathehrlady.com where you can connect with me directly. Simply visit uh, the website, click on connect at the top, and you can get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. And you know what, folks? As an anniversary present, if you guys have been listening for a while and you really like the show, please do me a favor. Hop over to Apple Podcasts or to Stitcher and leave a five-star review. And I really, truly appreciate it. Guys, look, Happy New Year. Let's make 2021 your year. We'll talk to you guys